you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com Registered Training Organisation 31352 Today's guest is Tonya Carew. Tonya's an all-round horse person who started in Pony Club. She was on junior committees, zone committees, state committees. She was also on the Zone 1 Chief Instructors Panel, as well as judging and building courses and whatever else needed doing. Tonya was a coach, organiser and lead rider at the Pony Club Musical Ride who did displays and shows all over southeast Queensland. As well as all that, Tonya bred horses and broke in horses, including the last filly by the incredible souvenir. Tonya's family was interested in everything Pony Club and then went on also to do Harness, Shetlands and Clydesdales. And then to, with her own boys, Tonya was involved in Polo Cross. Tonya's still involved in the horse industry and selling riverine horse floats as an agent. How are you today, Tonya? I'm good, thanks, Glennis, and it's Riviera Floats, just to... Um what did, what did I say? Start. What did I say? Did I say Riviera? Riverina, that's a horse. Oh, thing. not Riverina, no. No, Riviera. I can't even read my own writing. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. Tanya, tell us about, we'll talk about the floats a bit later on, but first of all, what's your sure. favourite quote? My favourite quote is one that Confucius, one of Confucius's old ones, and it says, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, the next best time is today. Yeah. And I've used that quote for many years in my previous role, you know, in my work life, in coaching and talking to people. And I always say to people, like, the world changes so goddamn quickly these days and look at technology and how we do things differently with horses. Yeah. And my thinking is don't waste another day to learn something new. But then more importantly than learning it is make sure you apply it. Yes, yes. If you keep learning about it, things are changing so quickly. That's right. And they often say by the time people have finished a university degree in technology, it doesn't matter. Whatever they've learnt in their first year is extinct. It's not extinct. It's just it's no longer viable to use that learning, but it's just to keep track of what's going on now. Yeah. 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 And it's about applying it. I mean, you can sit and yes. read and learn, but if you're not applying it, that's right. you know. That's right. And it's wasted. Yep. Now, Tonya, tell me about some early memories or one early memory. Do you remember your first time you had contact with a horse? For sure I did. Like um, my dad's father died when he was very young and so my dad's uncle took over that father figure role and he had a farm at Kilkeven, a big dairy farm. And so from I think I was nine days old when mum and dad first took me up to the farm and we had every holiday, every long weekend, 
I, I can't remember going for a holiday anywhere else but the farm at Kilkeven. And, uh, of course, there was, you know, horses on the farm, and in those days was kind of around. They had tractors, but he still had the big draft horses and was still using them to plough fields. And, and I had an old horse called Susie, but um, I always remember we bred a foal, and um, his name was Sparky. And as he was growing up, he was a colt, and he was in a paddock with one of the uncle's Jersey bulls, and that. they used to headbutt one another and push each other around <laughs> around the paddock and I was just to think to myself, I'll go in to catch this horse and this bull's going to go over the top of me. But, um, yeah, my memories, you know, I don't really remember learning how to ride because I was forever on a horse and I guess I sometimes think back about those old draft horses. They all went off to the dogger pens and, you know, they were, they were discarded for the machinery. But, God, if we had have known then, kept some of those beautiful big mares. But yeah. um, you know, that yeah. was just the way it was. You know, I didn't understand in those days where they were going to, but, yeah, yeah that was yeah, uh, in my memories. Mm. That's how I started in horses. Tell me, because I know you've got a funny story with how you started. I'm, I know you've had sort of horse floats all your life, but more recently you were going to buy a float and you ended up thinking that Chinese horse float to be pretty cheap. Do you want to tell us about that story? Yeah, it's an interesting story. My son, um, my eldest son, Ben, was going over to China to buy star pickets and wire for the property that he's, he and his wife are on. And I said to him, have a look for a horse float. And I, I did my research before he left and, you know, got on the internet and did all those things. And I found a, a particular place that built them. And I won't mention the name here because they've got them in Australia. But um, anyway, he went over and he stress tested the welds and he met the engineers and he saw the floats and, you know, said, Mum, I found you a cracker float because yep. um, I wanted a camper. So I bought this camper float and another float and, um, you know, paid for them, brought them over. Well, the camper float, um, when we put it together, was that badly balanced. It was 460 PSI over the ball and the back end of my Azuzu just about hit the ground. Oh, no. You know, the wiring in it was all taped together with short pieces of wire and, oh, look, there was that, you know, it cost me a fortune, um, you know, to get it re-engineered and fixed to a point where it was, you know, to Australian standards. Mm. I just did my head in about how these floats can come in. You know, they obviously have no idea when they're building them, not engineering them properly. I mean, we looked at them. We, you know, Ben did everything he could to, to check it out, but he yep. didn't yep. He didn't stick the gauge under the ball. And had he have done that, and we had seen how heavy it was. I mean, Australian standards is 350. PSI over the ball. That's why, you know, the ball's at 350. Yep. And this thing was 460. It went off the gauge. Yeah. And honest yeah. to God, I, I couldn't even tow it to get it fixed. Wow. I had to load it on a, on a uh, tilt tray and send it off to an engineer. And it's great now. It's all been fixed, but it was $8,500 to do that. And it's silly because you think you're going to go to China and get a cheap float, and that sounds good in theory, go to China, get a cheap float, bring it back, and it's still going to be undervalued. But if you've got to pay $8,500 to get a fix, that's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. plus $8,500 to bring it over. And, yep. and it wasn't yep. really about getting a cheap float. It was just about see what's over there while you're there because a lot of Chinese products that are great. Yes. And I said, well, while you're there, have a look. And the other thing too is, you know, if you're going to start from scratch, there's the time for the build and all the rest of it. And I wanted one as quickly as I could. So... To me, it was a good option and um, did my research, thought I'd done my due diligence, but sadly, <laughs> when it arrived, it was oh, heart-wrenching. But anyway. And was that both of them? Because you bought two. 
Yeah, I bought a second float because, you, you know, you put one in the other side, yep. bring it over to fill up the container. And even it had problems with one of the wheels and, you know, you couldn't pick it. And even the engineer that fixed it um, when we got it to Bella Wheeler, he said you would never have picked it, but it was just slightly off centre. And, of course, one of the wheels just, you know, just disappeared, like <sighs> the tyre, not the wheel, the tyre. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, we paid $800 to fix that. And a plus a new tire, and off it went. But oh, it was just just did my head in. <laughs> I never thought I could be so silly to get caught. Yeah, yeah, yes. For someone who's had floats all their life and been involved with horses and with floats, what about what yeah. would you say then? You know, for people who are saying, "Look, I'll go over to China and and have a look at some horse floats." What would your advice be to them? I'd say speak to people here first and yeah. talk to people yeah. that have bought them and you'll then find out which ones have given people problems and which ones haven't. I mean, there are some great floats that come from China. I mean, I'm selling them now. Yeah. Yeah. There's some beaut floats. But just, you know, check out where they're from and talk to people that have got that brand. There's plenty of them mm. around if you're in the horse industry. Go and have a look at some of the floats and see where they've come from yeah. and ask the people how they are. You know, yeah. Is it a good float or is it not? It's a good float. Happy days, but if it's yep. not, be warned. Yes, yes, and and that doesn't mean that that um, you don't get bad floats here either. But probably the likelihood that people are more understanding of the conditions and the requirements and what it takes to get a float on the road here. Uh, and when we say floats too, we're talking about horse floats. To anyone who's not from Australia, that's horse trailers or horse boxes. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Now, thinking about just sort of skipping around a little bit here, because you're a bit different, because you've even though you've had a lifetime of experience with horses, I think your specialty area now is really horse floats. But thinking about people working in the horse industry, because, you know, you've worked with a lot of people who've worked in the horse industry and been involved in that industry. If someone wants to have a career with horses, what sort of core skills or character traits would you say that they need? Well, I think first and foremost, you have to know horses and you have to have, you know, you can't have a career in horses if you don't know anything about the horse themselves. Now, whether you've shown horses, ridden horses, bred horses, raced horses, um, you need to know about horses because I find when I'm talking, especially when I'm talking to people about horse floats and travelling them, um, you know, when you've travelled horses as much as I have and, and, you know, done so many things with horses, you're very quick to understand what people's problems are and you can give them good advice. Whereas, um, you know, if you hadn't been around horses in the first place, you'd maybe you know, a bit of an amateur giving advice. But I think the other thing is that you have to be really understanding of, of what customers want. And whether you're selling horse boats or you've got a child in pony club and you're a coach and you're wanting to, to get that child to a certain point in time or a person or an adult is, you know, wanting some coaching... Um, it's about understanding what their needs are and and then once you understand what their needs are, then um, away you go and um, give them the best advice that you can and not just give advice before you really understand what their needs are. And I find, you know, with horse floats, the first thing that I do when someone rings, I say, look, tell me what you do with your horses. Do you travel them? Do you just compete on weekends? How big's your horse? You know, have you had any problems with them? And so once I've got an understanding about what problems they've got with their horse or if they don't have problems and what they do, do they travel along, then I can say to them, well, maybe this is what you need. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I think um, always 
you know, you need to have an understanding of the customer who's sympathetic because some customers mightn't know what they really need either. So one of the traits that you've got to have, I guess, is be patient and um, and just take your time with understanding their needs before you give advice. And, and I think that's right, you know, that people sometimes don't know what they need. They think they know and it's no good selling them the wrong thing. Mm. And something else too, especially with, with horses and with coaches, sometimes coaches get a little bit, and I've seen it with more inexperienced coaches, they tend to buy a horse for themselves and the type of horse that they would like instead of the type of horse that's best for their student. Exactly. And mm. I think too, if you're a coach, and I mean I instructed in Pony Club for many years as did you, and you still do, um, there's a lot of people that don't really understand the level at which their child is riding yes. or they're riding themselves and they want to achieve great things. But, you know, it's about doing the basics first and not letting people get ahead of themselves. Yep. But that's yep. where, you, you yep. know, when you, you've got the experience that you can see what's in front of you and you can, you know, try to give them the best advice you can. Yeah, yeah. Some parents are difficult. <laughs> yes, they want, yes. They want the child to be the winner in the first yes. 12 months. But that doesn't always happen. No. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. And it's a shame too because sometimes that puts the kids off, you know. They, they're on ponies yeah. that are a little bit too hot for them, a little bit too quick for them. Um, they have one or, or two spills. Big. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Yep. Tell me about the best thing you think about working in the horse industry. Oh, for me, it's about my passion, I guess, and it always has been. Mm-hmm. I grew up with horses. Um you know, my life was pony club. My best friends in life still are pony club people that I've grown up with. We, you know, in those days we, we used to go every weekend. Um, it was our life, whether we were going to competition or riding or doing a working bee. It was, everything was about pony club. And so it's been my passion. So I guess, you know, after pony club, we went to polo cross and then there was a whole new world again, but it was very family orientated. Um, industry. So for me now, being able to get back into it um, now that I've retired from, you know, what I did for many years uh, in my work life, I'm able to go back now and get back into that industry. And, you know, I went to Toowoomba for the National Pony Club titles at the end of last year and met up with a whole bunch of people that that were in Pony Club when I was there. I then had the inter-school championships straight after that. And then again, you know, met up with people that I've known from years and years gone by. And so for me, the best thing about working in the horse industry is, you know, when you're talking to people that have got the same passion as you, it doesn't even matter if it's a different discipline. You know, you've got a common interest and there's yep. always something to talk about. And um, and I love watching the events. So if I'm selling floats and I'm sitting in the trade area, but I'm also watching the dressage test or I'm watching the show jumping or whatever's on, 
I mean, again, that's happy days for me. Mm, mm. That's great. Yeah. What about people who've influenced you? Think about people who've influenced you and influenced you to make different decisions about horses, you know, whether you get that particular horse or training horses or having an understanding about horses. Who's influenced you? Well, it would have to be my dad. I mean, my dad, as you know, Bob Goss was in Pony Club forever and uh, he's passed away now, but was instrumental along with my mum in keeping my brother and I in the horse world. And, you know, he learned so much on the farm. He was a horseman. I knew a lot about horse mastership and he taught me, you know, he helped me break my first horse in and, you know, things that I learned as a kid even before I joined Pony Club, but then he was an instructor at Pony Club. And so, I mean, my father, I guess, was had to have been my greatest influence in horses, um, even though we used to fight a bit. Um, but then you've got people like Peter Bonfield and Ned Hill and all those people that gave a lifetime into an organisation that was all about teaching kids. Um, you know, those guys were really instrumental in, um, and influenced me along the way um, with horses. I mean, Peter Bonfield in particular, I um, mean, I spent many weekends up at his property and mustering and you know, working with sheep and cattle. And I mean, he was a great horseman. What Peter Bonfield hadn't done in, in the horse world wasn't worth knowing about. So, you know, those those people were legends in their day and, and they've all passed now. But, you know, Ned Two Hills daughter Jan, she's still involved in the Pony Club movement and gives her all to it. So, you know, there's lots of people, I guess, who influence you along the way with horses. But, yeah, certainly my dad, I don't think you could I, – I could think that anyone would influence me more than he, and not just in Pony Club, but, you know, he was involved as a volunteer in, you know, the Royal Shows and the Mount Show and – the Warana parades and, you know, he was always organising somebody or something yep. and so did I. So, you know, I was always there um, yep. doing something similar. So as were you, um, yep. you know, I know Dad had a great influence on your life too. He did. So, yeah, yeah, he would have to be the person. I couldn't go past that. Yep, yep. Tell us about horses. Have you got one horse that you think is a standout, that you think this is the horse that's had the most influence? Oh, for me, I mean, in your introduction, it was about, you know, that brilliant stallion souvenir. Yes. Um, that was owned by the Clark family down in Kyabram, down in on the border down in Victoria. You know, I, I watched that horse for years as a kid and, and I'd read about him and he had all the horses in the mounted police down in South Australia and I think in Victoria as well that were by him. And I always dreamt that I'd have a stall by him and sure enough, I had a, a beautiful mare, Kaya, and... He finally, I, I wrote to him a couple of times and said that I'd like to send her down. And actually, it was Jim McLean, who was a well-renowned judge from all over the place, that actually put a word into Howard about my mare and said, you want to take this mare? And so through Jim McLean's influence, Howard, you know, sent Kaya down and, um, you know, bred the last filly on the ground by souvenir because he died. So Howard liked the bear that much. He said, would you leave her here for a second season? And I did. But then Souvenir passed away, so we put it back in fold to, to a Supreme, who was by Souvenir. Yes. I mean, yeah. he he had such a new Souvenir. There's so many horses out there jumping, you know, that have go back to Souvenir. They're still out there. Neville Rose, I know, still has 
you know, horses that go back to souvenir. He's such a wonderful horse and beautiful temperament. Mm -hmm. So, you know, both horses are bred at beautiful temperaments and jumped. You know, they could both jump. Yep. What what about your proudest moment? What do you think that's been? Uh, I'd have to say when Kyvanir was jumping and Sheridan Wood was campaigning her, you know, she won so many events at, at shows and I was always there to watch and I would have never been able to do what Sheridan did. Um, I could ride, but I could never put horses over fences like she did. And, you know, I was always proud to watch that. But I, I don't think um, anything beats watching my three boys develop and ride together in the team at the Warwick Holocaust Club. Yep. I'm always proud of my kids. I mean, we all are. But sure. just watching them ride together and grow from young boys to young men, you know, they they were vigilant and their efforts in keeping their horses prepared and, you know, they rode every day and they kept them fit and they worked as a team. And, and then when they rode together and, you know, like there was nothing better than, you know, the three career boys in the one side and what they learnt. I was so proud of how they learnt about respect and responsibility and the caring of horses, you know, because, you know, boys are boys. And, and then to be, you know, given these horses to care for and they did um, and they learned about teamwork and the importance of effort and, yeah, you know, I don't think anything makes me more proud than watching my boys ride together and, and I didn't care if they didn't win, but the fact that they were good sports and they still are and they still, you know, they still work together as a team. Yeah. Nothing more proud than that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and it is, as you say, a real uh, family sport. It is. Polycross is very much a family sport. What, what do you think is the biggest challenge then to get your family Taking, you know, within that whole polar cross atmosphere, what do you think the biggest challenge is? Uh, financially, I guess anything with horses, you know, for families, when you're thinking about going into horse sports, there's always that financial challenge. Yep. But really, I think it's the commitment of going to events because once you're in a team, it's not like you're just going to ride a horse and go and compete in a show jumping event. You've actually got to have, you know, six other, or five other people if you're there on your own. You've got to have a team of six that's all working their horses together and training together and then turning up every weekend because polo cross is a season. So it starts, you know, it's just started now and it finishes just after August. Um, and so you're going for that whole winter period. So the, I guess the challenge is about keeping, you know, I guess as an adult you'd be, you'd be able to keep yourself going. But when you've got kids in it, is keeping them interested. I never had a problem with that because they were so engaged in the sport. But the one thing I love about polo cross for kids is that it doesn't matter where they are in the paddock, doesn't matter where they are, wherever you are, somebody on the ground's keeping an eye on them and they're safe. Yep, yep, yep. You know, and if you if one of my boys did something wrong or whatever, someone would pull them up and chastise them there and then. But then I would do the same to their kids. Yes. And it was just a, an unwritten law. And everybody prescribed to that, and you never saw any problems. And um, most kids on horses, whether it's polycross or pony club or whatever they're in, they grow up to be pretty responsible kids. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. it's not really a challenge in polycross. I guess, yeah, just keeping it all going and, and keeping the horses going, keeping them fit, you know, because it's a tough sport. Yep. And yep. so keeping them sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keeping the horse underneath it was the toughest challenge, I think. Yep, yep. I'm going to pull you back to floats again because we talk about this is the next question that I'm going to ask you about your specialty area and I really want to talk about these floats. 
What's a common fault that you see? And I know you've talked a little bit about, you know, the balance and and weight and things with the floats. What's a common fault you see with any floats and something that if people are looking at buying a float, they should look at? The tailgate and the floor and the balance. Okay. Without doubt. So those three things, um, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, floats from years gone by, they were all hardwood floors, rubber matting, or they were marine ply floors. And, you know, bit by bit, they're always needing repair. They'll rot, you've got urine and you're washing them out and you're forever keeping them wet. And so a lot of horses, you know, I've heard stories when people talk to me, especially if I'm at a trade site or an event, and they'll come up and tell me about the problems they've had with the floor or the tailgate giving away or rusting. And then the balance about a bit like the one that, you know, I bought. It's about you know, how how badly balanced it is and how they sit behind the car yep. when they're pulling them. And some people say they're so heavy, mm-hmm. you know, and their cars are sinking because they're not properly balanced. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah certainly the flooring, um, you know, it's what's underneath the float. If you have a look underneath a float and you have a look at ours, ours are all four mil angle iron, double dip gal. Once the chassis is together, it's dipped again. So you won't see any welds underneath our floats. Other floats, you'll see they've got inch box, it's lightweight framing. It, it rusts out. Yep. You know, it'll rust from the inside out. I mean, we had a truck years ago, an Izuzu truck, and I got to Chinchilla and saw my horse bouncing, a big thoroughbred horse bouncing on the top of the rubber, and it had rotted from the, the it had rusted from the inside out in the box channel. And you couldn't even see it from the outside, and the wow. floor had given away. And, it, and luckily for us, the horse didn't go through it. But you know, we couldn't have even predicted that. So from then on in, I said, I'll never have a, another float. I'm not saying floats with box welding can be bad, are mm. all bad, but they can be, you know, they can be dangerous if you're not keeping good eye on it and you're not looking to see, you know, what's happening on the inside. If they get wet, they'll rust. But as you say, so, if it's sort of inside out, it's not something that the amateur can come along and just have a look at. They can say, oh, yeah, I checked under the float last week. But if you don't know what you're looking for, it can be a potential problem. But if you can't see it, so yeah, you know, we used to yeah. get our truck serviced regularly. So we mm-hmm. had to pull the crate off, we had to pull the floor off, we put new steel all in underneath it, and then it was a huge expense. But we couldn't see that, and neither could you know it was serviced regularly. So you know, there's some of the things that you can be caught with, and yeah. and just floats rusting out and tailgates, you know, coming off because they just wear out. So floats need to be serviced. They're like a car. Yep. You have to service them, and some people don't service their floats. They need to check the wheel bearings and make sure they're greased up. And you know, every year send them in for a regular check, or if they're being used regularly, you know, every two months or whatever. You know, you know how often you're using your float. Yep. So yep. you know they need to be serviced, and if you don't service them, you're going to have problems. Yeah. Yeah. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one. Have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Tonya, I think we need to get you back and talk in a bit more detail about floats and servicing and maintenance and things like that. Um, I don't think we've got the time now, but if you're happy to come back, we can make that another time. Is that okay? Yeah, love to. Love to. Good. All right, Tanya, what about books? Have you got a book that you can recommend to our listeners? And could be, I suppose, because you've got such a broad background with horses, 
any book's going to do because I think that, uh, you know, our, our listeners are from a broad background as well, so I'm sure that you'll pick one that someone along the line will like. I'm going to talk to you about a book that's not a horse book. Mm-hmm. So it's a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Have pretty you read popular that? book, yes. A pretty popular book to the broader population, I should say, yeah. It is indeed. And it's a, it's a business book, it's a self-help book, but it's all about being effective and attaining goals. And so to me it's one of the greatest books I've ever read and, you know, I've used it in leadership training and in other work that I've done around the place. But, you know, Covey talks about the best way to get results and his message is really about getting it through caring for the product that gives you the results. So, you know, whether you're in business and you're manufacturing something or you've got a business around people and, you know, you look after your people and then they'll produce for you, but you can apply the same principles to horses. And so it's more around, you know, if you're going to care for your horse and you're going to put the effort into your horse, then you'll get the results. And so I think that when you're reading that book, no matter what discipline you're in, you can apply the theory of his habits into your training and knowing what you want to achieve before you start. It's a bit like if you haven't mastered the walk, why do you go into the trot? Do you know what I mean? He talks about effort and he talks about um, doing first things first. And that's about, you know, don't rush in and think you're going to do it, you know, a one-metre fence if you can't manage 80 centimetres. He talks about the habit that I like the most is seek first to understand and then be understood. Mm So, you know, I say to people, if you understand what's happening to your horse, do you understand why it's not travelling in this flow? Does it scrambling or, you know, it doesn't want to load or whatever else? Understand what's going on, no matter what you're doing. And then when you understand why it's happening, then make sure that the horse understands what you want and work out a way to get that. So, like, there's so much in his book. I've read it a number of times. Um, I just think it's a great book and I think anyone that reads it could apply it to anything they're doing in any walk of life. Yes, and I think if you can have a bit of a reflection on that about horses, training horses, yeah, I think it's all valuable. I don't know if we've got it on our book list yet, but I certainly will get it on our book list. And so if anyone's interested in that, they can have a look. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tonya, tell us what you're looking forward to at the moment. What's your future holds? So I guess... You know, I retired from 38 years of working in government and then it's about, am I ready to retire? No, not really. (laughs) I like being busy. All I wanted to do when I finished work was then start going back and doing horse events and I thought for a while about course building because I always loved course building. And then I got the opportunity through meeting Gail and Christy from Riviera in Western Australia um, to sell their floats and I thought well you know why not combine the two I want to travel and see horse events I've got a new pony which is a little Welsh A and I've got all my harness that you know I've had for years and my buggies that you know many that we've had that some dad made and some that we've bought and he did up and and I thought well I wouldn't mind doing some events and start doing those sort of things so like I want to kind of combine the selling the horse floats and traveling and meeting people and and really just doing what makes me feel happy you know, yep. Yep. I'm 62 now. I want to do what I want to do. And I'm looking forward to just getting out there and meeting up with horse people again. And, and I have done since I've been doing this. I've been been having a great time. I've just come back from Dolby Show and met some terrific people. And they sit down and have a chat and talk about horses. And it doesn't matter if they don't want to buy a float. <laughs> so, yeah, meeting old friends again and catching up with people. And, yeah, so 
I guess what I want to do is just travel a bit yep. and go and do some horse events. And I've just had a horse broken in and she's going nicely, so I'm going to start riding again. So, yeah, Sounds that's good. really it for me. Yep. Mm. What about can you sum up your philosophy with horses then, just into a few sentences? Don't wait for tomorrow because it might never come. <laughs> Seize opportunities as they present themselves, I figure. I'm an early adopter. Um, you know, see something there that you want to do, I say, you know, have a go at it. Life can be shorter than you expect sometimes. Yep, yep. All right, now, Tonya, how can people contact you if they're interested in uh, just talking about horses or interested in asking questions about a float? We're going to have your page as horsechats.com slash Tonya Carew, but just in case someone's there ready and waiting, have you got some contact details for them? Sure. Um, so I'm the Queensland agent for Riviera Floats, but my company name is Carew Industries and I trade as Sterling Floats which can be just a little bit confusing <laughs> for some people. But anyway, um, so sterlingfloats.com.au and I've got a Facebook page and a web page. Um, or they can contact me um, by phone and that's um, written on both the web page and the Facebook page. So drop me a note, send me an email, contact me on Facebook or just give me a call. Or if you see me at a display, uh, you see my big sign up, come and have a chat. Wonderful. All right, Tonya, thanks very much for chatting to us today and I'm looking forward to catching up with you again soon and give us a few more details about what to look for in horse floats or trailers or or boxes, yes. That's it, will do. Yeah, okay, bye. Okay, bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 